Losing Weight to Gain Control. Today's episode, Upgrading Your Mindset for Weight Loss with Dr. John Chuback. Welcome to today's episode of the Losing Weight to Gain Control podcast. This is Gwen Alexander, your host. This is a podcast to encourage you on your weight loss journey. It doesn't matter if you're at the beginning of, in the middle of, or at maintenance because we all need some encouragement. And if you want some extra encouragement, you can also follow me on Facebook. That's facebook.com backslash Alexander. And I try to post things that I do to stay on track with my weight maintenance, but also some of the challenges that I deal with and how I overcome them. And you can also visit my website, thegwenalexander.com, where there are several resources to help you along your weight loss journey. There's the 14-day Get Started Guide, which will help you evaluate where you are in your life and where you can evaluate your eating habits. And then there's also the food journal and the Believe and Achieve journal to help you with accomplishing your goals. And today, I am so excited because we have a guest with us. I've mentioned I've wanted to have guests. And the guest we have today is John Chubach, and he's a doctor. He is a board board certified in general surgery and cardiovascular surgery and and is affiliated with Valley Hospital in Chilton Memorial Hospital. He received his MD from Rutgers University and has been in private practice in Paramus, New Jersey for 16 years. Dr. Chubach is also a successful entrepreneur. He is the founder and chief medical officer at Chubach Medical Group, founder and managing member of Alant Hill LLC, and the nutraceutical company Biosmart MD. He is the recipient of the Patient's Choice Award and Compassionate Doctor Recognition, and he is a member of the Board of Trustee at Phillips Academy Charter School in Newark, New Jersey, an exceptional school where underprivileged children receive an excellent education. Dr. Chubak founded Chubak Education, which offers audio programs on subjects like weight management, smoking secession, personal development, and academic achievement. And so let's welcome Dr. Chubak today. And how are you today? Hi, Gwen. Thank you so much. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the program. This is very exciting. Thank you. Well, on the Losing Weight to Gain Control uh, podcast, one of the things that we were talking before we got started about is with goal accomplishments and, you know, not just focusing on weight loss. So that was one reason I really wanted to have you on my podcast was I like to encourage my listeners that it's not just about the numbers on the scale. You know, there's other things in life, too, besides, okay, you reached your weight loss goal. Now what? But uh, let's start with uh, talking a little bit about yourself. You know, like I said, you're a doctor. And how did you get into the area that you specialize in? Well, my um, background, as you mentioned in the introduction, is in general surgery and cardiovascular surgery. And so through both of those fields, obviously, weight loss, weight management, proper health, normal BMI, body mass index, all of those things are essential to, to good health and, and surgical problems that are related to both general surgery and cardiovascular surgery. And the first several years I was in practice, I practiced only open heart surgery, doing triple and quadruple bypasses and valve replacements and things like that. Later, I segued into an office-based practice where I specialize only in venous disease, taking care of people with varicose veins. And oftentimes, uh, not always, but oftentimes people with varicose vein disease, which is a real disease, not just a cosmetic problem which can lead to uh, swelling, infection of the legs, ulcers, bleeding, etc. Oftentimes, that's related to people who are overweight and obese and even morbidly obese. So weight loss is a part of my daily practice in advising patients. Um, We have had in the past, in fact, a dedicated weight loss program, which We're no longer doing formally, but we're still consulting and advising patients on weight loss literally on a daily basis. And weight loss has has been something which has been a part of my life 
throughout my life. Weight is something that I've always had to manage. At this point in my life, fortunately, I've been winning that battle for, for, for a long time. But in my um, adolescent years and right up through the end of my surgical training in my early 30s, uh, weight was always an issue. So I've thought a lot about the subject, I've read a lot about the subject, and I've worked hard on the subject, both personally and professionally. Oh, I, I like that. You mentioned that. Now, you said when you were younger, you had weight issues. Uh, did you have a situation where you maybe had family members that would say something to you about your weight or, or friends or other kids would maybe tease you about things or... Absolutely. You know, I was always a, I was always a big guy and I sort of, you know, carried my weight well. I was a football player and so on and so forth. But certainly it went back to my childhood. Um, in fact, my father was a physician. My mother was a nurse, but, uh, my mother was definitely overweight in those, in those years. She also has sort of conquered you know, the, the, the weight problem in her later life. But when I was a child, she was extremely heavy. And um, although my father was a physician, and he would always make remarks about our weight, my sisters and myself, that we should stay thin and so forth. He was always thin and trim. He was also a great cook, and he loved to overfeed us at the same time. So, so uh, it was um, just part of our life growing up. There was, uh, as I like to say, Frequently, um, we were probably overfed and undernourished at times. Yeah. Um, but uh, eating a lot of fast food back in the 1970s and 80s and things like that. But um, and also, as you know, in 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 many cases, very much associated with love and affection and and showing people how much you care by overfeeding them and people feeling rewarded by watching other people eat their cooking and so on and so forth. So. It's such a complex and exciting and interesting and fascinating subject from a psychological, emotional, physiological, biochemical, from every point of view you could imagine. That's why a program like yours, I think, is so essential. And you could, I think, make episodes uh, forever and ever and ever and never run out of new things to talk about, quite frankly. Yes, uh, like what you mentioned with your family. I went through the same thing. I grew up in the South, actually Southern Louisiana, and it seemed like food was love. You, right. you feed to, to show them that you love them. And some of it was, you know, I'm African American and in our community, I don't think it was understood of how, why you gained weight. One of the things I talked about in my book that I wrote was my grandma, grandmother told me to wear girdles in order to not to gain weight, which now I understand that wasn't going to work. It was because I ate too much. <laughs> And I right. didn't move, but that just shows you that some of it was, you know, they just didn't know also. So it was sound like you had that situation too. Now, as you got older, when did you decide that, you know, I don't think the way I look is maybe the best for me. You know, I would like to, to feel better because being overweight can affect your health. I had several health problems that were bothering me before I lost the weight. You know, I, I was lucky I didn't have a lot of things like high blood pressure or diabetes yet. That was one of my fears was I'm going to be a type 2 diabetic. So I thought I better get this under control before it gets to that point. Did you kind of have a wake-up call like that? Yes, I did. I mean, I think I felt exactly the same way. I, I was, you know, surrounded by all of this information and knowledge, again, through medical school and general surgical training and cardiovascular surgical training. Uh, that that was an 11 year period of my life, and uh, of course I was surrounded by the ideas of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, high blood sugar, which is as you mentioned diabetes and type two diabetes, and all the risk factors associated with obesity, which include many many malignancies, cancers, and so forth. So I was very knowledgeable on the subject, but it was remarkable that we were working so hard and under such tremendous pressure and stress that we had, there were, there were many of us, including our professors and so forth, who were overweight and uh, not eating well, eating on the run, eating, uh, again, uh, high calorie, low nutrition foods in many cases, you know, hamburgers and hot dogs and chocolate chip cookies out of the hospital cafeteria and all the things that you can imagine would be in a hospital cafeteria, like pudding and rice pudding and, you know, all, all these kinds of, you know, goodies 
it was rare that anybody was sitting down to have, uh, not rare, I think uh, unheard of that anybody was sitting down to have a, a fresh salad with a piece of grilled fish. Don't you so, think it's kind of ironic? Of Don't you think it's ironic you worked in a healthy environment and there weren't really healthy actions being done? Ironic is the perfect word. The, uh, the irony was inconceivable, but despite the irony being so obvious and right in your face, it was something really that was never discussed. I mean, uh, I don't think in all those years uh, I had a single professor ever approach me. Again, I was, you know, a big guy, an ex-football player, and I'm six feet, two inches tall, and I was probably about, you know, 50 or 60 pounds overweight, but people didn't necessarily call me fat and so on and so forth or think of me as fat. They just thought of me as a, you know, big, you know, young guy, but I was fat and I was, you know, significantly overweight. I was definitely in the obese category based on my, on my uh, body mass index. And, um, like you, I wasn't really seeing any of the side effects or what we call sequelae of obesity because I was so young. I finished my training when I was 33. So I was still, you know, a young man. So I did not have high blood pressure. I did not have high cholesterol. I did not have diabetes. But exactly like yourself, I was an educated person. I was knowledgeable. And I knew that if I continued down that path, the likelihood would be that I, I would fall into one of those or all of those categories eventually. And then I would have to deal with the consequences of those diseases. And I didn't want to see that happen. You know, um, I've been very fortunate. My primary care physician, I actually, he does marathons uh, and I see him at sometimes when I go to walk 5k and two mile events. So I'm, I'm very lucky that he never did say, Gwen, you need to go and lose some weight because I've talked about that in po past episodes where, you know, if he would have said, you need to go fix this, I probably would have stopped going to him and would have just mm -hmm. not tried to take care of the problem. But he never did say that. And when I finally did start doing things, I mean, he'd come up to me and give me a high five and like, I'm so proud of you. Do you have you faced that as a doctor where you have patients that you know they really need to take control of their their weight and you know get it under control but how do you approach it with them do you are you one of those that say you just need to fix this or do you say you know I've been through it and here's uh, how I did it Yes I first of all your doctor sounds like a great guy you're lucky to have such a a good person in your corner it it is a very su sensitive subject as you know weight People who have struggled with weight are, are oftentimes sensitive about the subject. They can be hurt easily in bringing up the subject. I, again, I don't think it is something that physicians have been well trained in. Um, they've been trained in calories and, and, and nutrition and so on and so forth to a certain extent and how calories are related to weight loss and, and, and so forth. But certainly the emotional component of it and the psychological component, I think the training is probably zero. And how to open or broach a conversation like that with a patient without injuring them or wounding their feelings, I don't think is something that is taught or trained, and it should be. It's a difficult thing. So, I, yes, I always begin with my own story, my own family history, as we discussed today. And I say that you're not alone in this. Fortunately, I also you know, being a human being and lived, uh, you know, in a quote unquote normal life for, for a couple of years as a teenager, I also smoked cigarettes. So I counsel people on smoking, but I always begin with, you know, I, I smoked, you know, and I, I know how, how that feels and, you know, what a wonderful bad habit that is and things like that and how hard it is to quit and what an addiction is like. And so, and, and I start, I'm fortunate in the sense that I haven't always been perfect, that I can speak from that point of view. So I, I always open the subject, you know, I would say, Gwen, you may not know this, but I've, I've been struggling with weight my whole life. And um, I know how difficult it is. And it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing journey. And it's a day to day thing. And then I say, you know, in your case, we see that you're overweight, and I'd like to see you lose weight. And then we, we, we ease into the subject, but I want them to know that it's not an accusation. It's not a judgment. It's not, no one is um, chastising or punishing them for their behavior or their results. I'm saying we're in this together. We all want to be as healthy as we can be. And that's why we're here. Uh, it sounds like your patients are lucky to have you too. Uh, no, thank you. One of the things, like I said, I uh, talked about was 
the the challenges of when we decide we want to lose weight, a lot of us just focus on, I want to lose that 20 pounds or get to whatever the magic number is on the scale. Because I lost weight. Uh, I grew up in the 80s with the whole low fat, no fat craze thing. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when I, the first time in the 90s, when I decided I'm going to get healthy and I'm going to lose this weight, I went to to the extreme. I did the calorie restriction to the point where I was eating below a thousand calories, which I know that is not good now. And I tell people don't do that unless you're under a doctor's supervision because I started to lose my hair. I had heart palpitations. I was exercising like two hours a day and it, it, it just wasn't a good situation. But my thought was if I could just get to that number on the scale, then everything will be okay. I got to the number on the scale, and then I was like, now what? I don't know what, to, you know, I just need to lose more weight. So I started to do that, and it just kind of became obsessive. So a few years ago, when I decided, you know, I, I've got to do this, but I've got to have the right reasons, I decided to focus on other areas of my life to accomplish goals, like getting out of debt, you know, just trying new things instead of sitting at the house all the time. Did you go through any of that? Because like I said, I know you do personal development too which is an area I also like, and I try to encourage my listeners to also think about. Uh, is that something that you did even in your own journey? Instead of just saying, well, I'm going to get down to 200 pounds, uh, I'm going to get to 200 pounds and run a 5K or something like that, or I'm going to save up so much money to buy investments. Or Did you do anything like that? Absolutely. I, I've been working on myself in this field of personal development in every area you can consider health fitness finances education my profession family personal relationships friendships family relationships anything that you could imagine i have been looking at and trying to improve and and make better and i'm continuing on that path i think that's a never-ending process and in the book that I, I wrote, which is called Make Your Own Damn Cheese, it's kind of a funny title. It was inspired by a very famous book that was also written by a physician called Who Moved My Cheese? It was written by Spencer Johnson. But in Make Your Own Damn Cheese, although it's a, it's a, a very short book, it's less than 100 pages, it's a very profound book, I believe, and I think a very, very powerful tool. And what I teach in that book and what I share in that book can be applied to any conceivable area of your life. And it, and it goes back to the idea of, it explains that everything begins in the mind, that we become what we think about. We become what we think about most of the time. I think that, that those six words, you know, we become what we think about, are probably the greatest revelation in modern psychology in the last, last, let's say, 150 years or so, that everything begins with our thoughts. And I show in the book how the mind looks. I, I have a diagram that, that diagrammatically represents the mind, not your brain. Your brain is something else. Your brain is a three-pound organ that sits in your, in your head and your skull, a very important structure. But your mind is different than your brain. Your, your, your brain is an organ. Your mind is more of an activity. And I talk about the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, and the superconscious mind. But the most important elements are the conscious and subconscious mind and how what we think about in our conscious mind over and over and over plants seeds in the subconscious mind. And what grows in the subconscious mind, those thoughts become our beliefs. They become, they become what we call paradigms. And paradigms are basically a, a, a group of beliefs that drive our habitual behavior. And those habitual behaviors, which most of our behavior is habitual, those habitual behaviors are going to determine essentially completely our results. So if you look at your life and you look at the results, you can always trace it backward to how you've been thinking, what you've been thinking about most of the time. If you see somebody who's thin and trim and slim, you can kind of go back and read their mind. If you see somebody who's grossly overweight, you can sort of 
step backward in time and think about and see what they've been thinking about most of the time. So to change our life, weight being one example, health, fitness being one example, we have to begin with our thinking, with our thoughts. It doesn't begin with the refrigerator. It doesn't begin with the Jenny Craig meeting. It doesn't begin with the, the bicycle. It doesn't begin with the push-ups. It begins with our thinking in our conscious mind, understanding how the mind works and understanding that this is the most powerful tool that we've been blessed with, this amazing, magnificent human mind, and that if we can control our thinking, everything else will fall in place. You are so on target. You That goes exactly with my message of I talk about the invisible weight. I actually had somebody write me not too long ago say that's that's it because a lot of my eating problems it wasn't it it was because of the stuff I was thinking you know I was dealing with stuff from my childhood I never dealt with things that happened as an adult and so I would just using food to stuff it down I, I I never called it binge eating I always called stuffing because I would just stuff it in as fast as I could so I wouldn't think about it and that's kind of how my my life was so one mm-hmm. of the things I did was start you know, replacing those negative thoughts with a positive. So when my mind would say, you're so bad because you want food. And I said, why is it bad? I want food. My body is telling me. And it was because of when I was a child, they would say, well, you're bad for wanting to eat. You need to lose weight. You need to stop eating. I mean, it's work to have to start Mm -hmm. recognizing those things. But I think with many of us, even if it's not that you need to lose 100 pounds, I've even had some of what I call my skinny friends say, I just sit and eat a whole bowl of Chex Mix, and I don't know why I did it. I'm just mindlessly eating. So it's not mm-hmm. just necessarily for weight loss, but it's it's a lot of what we do in our life. And um, I still deal with it. You know, everybody, some of my friends think I've conquered it, but I was exercising the other day, and my mind was like, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to keep this up. You might as well just quit now. And it mm-hmm. just gets frustrating because it's like, you think I'd be over this. By now, but mm-hmm. it's an everyday you know, mental battle still. So I'm so, yeah, so glad you brought that up. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, when you talked about when you, you were overweight, were there any physical limitations that you had? I know for me, one of the things was even tying my shoes because the way my stomach was, it was hard to bend over to mm-hmm. <laughs> tie my shoes or told a story once how when I was walking, I realized my hips had shrunk because my my arms weren't hitting my hips anymore but but it was great because physically I could start doing more so did you kind of have a a time where you noticed that Absolutely well as I as I said growing up I was an athlete I played you know numerous sports football and basketball and lacrosse and baseball and you know all in organized athletics and uh, one of the things that I picked up in my teenage years that I that I didn't play competitively, but I played recreationally through high school and then college was tennis. And I became quite a quite a good tennis player. I was committed to it. And um, it was a window of time where my weight was quite well under control. I had I had gotten down it was very well under control. In fact, I had gotten down in that period to about 185 pounds. I was really in great shape and I was playing great tennis. And then what happened was I went off to medical school and although college was, was challenging, medical school was really challenging. The, the, the number of hours committed to, to the library and studying were basically limitless. I mean, we'd get up in the morning, we'd go to class and take notes and listen and learn. And then after class, it was directly home or to the library to study all night. So I completely got out of the habit of exercising totally. And I also got out of the habit of playing any tennis. Many years later, okay, and when I say many years later, 11 years later, when I finished my cardiac surgical training, because it was four years of college, five years of general surgery, and two years of cardiovascular surgery, four, excuse me, four years of medical school, five years of general surgery, two years of cardiovascular surgery. In that 11-year period, I hadn't played any more tennis. I had stopped exercising, and I put on from that 185, now that I'm thinking about this, I put on 80 pounds. I finished, I finished, I was 265. And a good friend of mine who I grew up with, who was another tennis player, when I came out into practice, he said, why don't we get together and play tennis? 
And I said, oh, my God, I would love to play tennis. I haven't played in years. I was 33. I was still young and whatever. But I was just so heavy. And I just remember, like you talk about, you know, you couldn't tie your shoes because your because your belly was in the way. I could not move, Gwen. I could <laughs> not move. I, 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 I was actually dumbfounded. Conf- I, I said, what is the matter with you? You can't, you can't run. You can't get off the ground. You can't jump. You can't. I felt like I had two, not even cinder blocks. I felt like I had two lead blocks on my feet that I could barely move around the court. I said, this is unbelievable. I am incapacitated. I'm, it was, there was nothing wrong with me, but I was, I felt almost paralyzed, really disabled yes. is the only way to put it. And, and, uh, that was one of those massive wake up calls that, that you mentioned. And that was, you know, the beginning of, a pattern of many years. It did it. I, I, it took me many, many years to, to lose the weight and get to where I am now. That's a long answer to your question, but I think it's an important one for people to hear that sometimes it takes years to put this weight on and then you find yourself really handicapped, disabled because of the weight. And then it may take many, many more years to get yourself rehabilitated physically that yes. you can do what you want to do. That was certainly the, the, the situation for me. Well, that's one of the things I've dealt with. It took me about three years to lose 70 pounds. And I remember people didn't really notice until I'd taken off about 20, 25. Because, I mean, I was heavy. I was like 270. And um, right. But I had a lot of friends say, well, you didn't look that. I mean, I tried to dress well, you know, things like that. But uh, somebody asked me, so would you lose like 15 pounds? It's like, no, I've lost 25 pounds already. And uh, when they would ask me how you did it and how long, that, just at that time, how long had it taken me? and their look on their face was like, oh, you mean it didn't take you like a month or two months? I'm like, no. And then even for the three-year time, (laughs) you know, for the three-year one, they still, it's almost like, oh, it took you three years to do that. Well, yeah, but during that time, I was trying to get my head, my thoughts together, you know, work on my life and what do I want to do with it? So it wasn't just where it was 24 hours a day, you know, like some of these weight loss shows where I'm just doing this for my whole day and that's all I concentrate on. And, you know, I had a life I had to live during that time. Of course. Because I think that sometimes what we get into is I have to do this in a hurry. It's got to be done in a hurry. And as a doctor, not everything works that way. (laughs) Yeah. But as a doctor, I mean, is, is it health? Is it healthier to do it that way? Or, I mean, is it all dependent on how you do it? Well, I think, I think that, again, the experts in that field, again, I, I'm knowledgeable. I don't want to call myself an expert in, in weight loss and weight management, but I, I am knowledgeable. The, the, I think common advice, the safe medical advice, which this is nothing earth shattering. I think most people have heard this. If not, I'm glad I'm sharing it with them. The, the standard advice is that safe weight loss is one possibly two pounds per week. But one pound a week in the long term is the safe rate of weight loss so that you don't run into problems like you said, palpitations, weakness, hair loss, kidney problems, dehydration, uh, all kinds of medical problems that can occur from rapid weight loss, gallbladder uh, attacks from, from rapid weight loss, irritability, mood swings, depression. I mean, the, the list of maladies that goes along with very rapid weight loss is extensive. That, that can cause a whole disease scenario in and of itself. So, and that's typically, as you know, Gwen, cause you're experienced with this after maybe the first couple of weeks, two, three weeks of a diet where generally you shed a lot of retained water. It's not really fat tissue or adipose tissue that we that we're losing at that point it's a lot of water weight that we're diuresing we're we're urinating out of the system and you say wow i lost 10 pounds in three weeks or whatever but that's not going to keep up after that you have to mobilize the, the the held fat stores and you want to be doing those things to maintain your lean muscle mass also you don't want to be starving yourself so that Oh yeah, you're losing weight, but you're losing fat. Excuse me, you're losing uh, skeletal muscle as quickly, or even more quickly than you're losing the 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 held fat tissue. You want to retain that that muscular tissue for your athleticism and strength and um, endurance, 
and just be shedding the excess fat storage. If you go too quickly, you'll, you'll find that you're burning, you're burning too much muscle tissue also. So uh, a pound a week is what I advise all my patients. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that because uh, I think sometimes because of the images we're giving on some of these TV shows, you know, everyone thinks, well, I must not be normal because I am not losing five pounds in two or three days, which a lot of people don't realize those shows aren't time sensitive. You know, I've heard of how they manipulate the time. Even with weight training, that was one thing I wanted to concentrate on different this time when I did it, especially since now I'm in my 40s. And, you know, I read that, you know, women in their 40s, maybe if you, you build more muscle, it'll help with, you know, osteoporosis not setting in as well. So I was like, I need to get on this. Now I don't do anything. Would, I'm not going to look like Orange Schwarzenegger anytime too soon. But I do <laughs> do find that I, I feel better, you know, when I, I do cardio too, but I, I recently switched to more weight bearing type exercise and even trying to use my body weight to do some things because I can have my body with me anytime. I don't have to carry you know, anything with me. Do you, Absolutely. What do you, I mean, I don't know if that's your specialty, but even women as they age, you know, is it more beneficial to, to add the weight bearing exercises or some of them I know still like to do cardio, cardio, cardio. It's all I want to do only. Right. No, I think, I think again, the, uh, the consensus there is exactly with what you're saying that it should be a combination of cardiovascular training, uh, aerobic training with resistance training, no question about it. And that resistance training is going to, again, as you mentioned, greatly prevent the, the uh, risk of osteoporosis, which can lead to broken hips. It can lead to back fractures and, and long bone fractures and things like that. So weight bearing and resistance training should absolutely be the part of everyone's training program, no matter what age, in my opinion, male and female. So yes, that's a, that's a, absolute foundation of good health and fitness. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you also, since uh, we're recording this and it's going to be the new year coming up pretty soon, one of the things I think you talk about in your personal development is resolutions or setting goals. Now, I have to admit, even when I was a kid, I did not set New Year's resolutions because most of the people I saw did not accomplish them. So I kind of got into this habit of I'm not doing that. But I mean, I've always been a pretty goal-oriented person. I went to college in music and, you know, I always was having pieces to learn and goals to set with that. Or even with my finances, I like money, talk about money too. One of the things in weight loss, like I said, is the goals with that. But then we get to a point where, okay, maybe the scale's not moving. And I think sometimes when the scale's not moving, even though we have more we want to lose, it's because we're focusing so hard on that, on that part. So when I tell them, okay, well, let's let's look at another goal in your life you want to accomplish. One thing that happened with me is once I started focusing on that other goal, then the weight started to move again when I was at a plateau. Is there really something to that or is, was that just in my head that that seems to work? Or is there, you know, like any reason you would think why that works? Well, I have very, very strong, uh, you know, feel, feelings and beliefs about goal setting. I think that goal setting, which is something I've been doing my whole life, not always consciously, but when I look back now, I understand what I was doing now that I'm an expert in the field of personal development. And I've studied personal development for 20 years. I think that goal setting is without question the most powerful tool that we have which goes hand in hand with understanding our mind and how the mind works and taking control of the mind. So let me um, give you a few and your listeners a few basic but very, very essential ideas regarding goal setting. Number one, you can set goals in all of these areas of your life simultaneously. You can set a weight loss goal, a fitness goal, income goal, a savings goal, a retirement goal, an education goal learning a new piece of music goal, all at the same time. Why? Because we have been blessed and gifted with the most magnificent mind that is known in the, in the universe. The power of our mind is so extraordinary. It's almost, it's, it's almost unbelievable, but it, but it turns out to be true. We are each so brilliant 
we're born geniuses. Unfortunately, many of us get convinced through society and culture and the people around us that we're not geniuses. We get de-geniused. But I can assure you, each of us has the potential intellectually through this incredible organ, the brain, and our mind to achieve unbelievable things, high things in every area. So how does goal setting go? It's very important to understand how the subconscious mind works and how the subconscious mind becomes programmed. The subconscious mind, which is the part of the mind which is carrying our beliefs about ourselves, who we are, what we look like, where we fit in society, what role we're going to play, how much money we're going to have, how much we're going to weigh, whether we're going to be a leader or a follower, whether we're going to make this much money or that much money. All of those beliefs live inside the subconscious mind. And most people don't even know they have a subconscious mind. So if you don't know that, you're way, you're way behind the, the eight ball, as they say. You're in big trouble. You have to educate yourself on the power of the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is what we call amoral, not immoral, not bad, but amoral, meaning it doesn't care what you put there. It's like a fertile garden. It's like beautiful, rich soil that you that you would have, let's say, in, in the south, in, in the best farm country. Beautiful, dark, deep soil just filled with nutrients and, and just ready to, to bring forth a crop. Now, it doesn't care if you plant sweet corn or if you plant nightshade, which is a deadly poison. It will bring forth either in equal abundance. It, do, it, it does not care about anything. It doesn't know right from wrong. It doesn't know good from bad. It doesn't know truth from fiction, which is very important to understand. Why is that important? Because if you tell yourself, I am thin and slim and trim, I am thin and sli slim and trim, I am thin and slim and trim, and your subconscious mind hears that over and over and over, it accepts it. It, it will not reject it. But Unfortunately, what we tend to say to ourselves, this is very sad, but true, and I've been guilty of this myself. We say to ourselves, you know, I don't want to be a big fat pig anymore. I'm sick and tired of being ugly. I'm sick and tired of being fat. I'm sick and tired of being overweight. The way the subconscious mind works, and, and this, this is, again, one of the great revelations in the last 150 years of, of modern psychology and popular psychology. The way that the subconscious mind works, when you say, I don't want to be fat anymore, the only thing the subconscious mind is, hears is I fat. Yep. When you say, I don't want to be ugly. All it hears is I ugly. When you say, I don't want to be a big fat pig. It doesn't understand don't want to be. All it understands is big fat pig. So when we reprogram the subconscious mind, it's always in the positive present tense. That's the language of the subconscious mind. So as an example, I would say, I am, not I want to be, I hope to be, I wish to be, I will be, I am 180 pounds on June 15th, 2020. I am 180 pounds on June 15th, 2020. And you write that on a gold card. You get a card, business size card, piece of um, index card that you, you cut, and you write on there, I am, or I weigh 180 pounds on June 15, 2020. And you laminate that card. You can go on Amazon. 3M makes these little sheets that I love. They're very inexpensive. They come in packs of 10, 20, whatever they are. And you can cut that card so that it fits in that little self-sealing lamination thing. And then you put that in your pocket or you put it in your purse. You make five of them because you lose them, unfortunately. <laughs> but you make five of them, 10 of them. You put them in your, in your pants pocket, you put them in your coat pocket, you put it in your purse, you put it in your wallet. And it's, it's unbelievable, Gwen, how powerful this technique is, what happens. Because you know what's written on the card. Nobody else knows. It's in your pocket. So you reach in your pocket to get something, or you reach in your coat to get something, or you look in your purse to find something, and you touch the card, or you see the card. What's amazing is you don't have to take it out and read it, because you know what it is, because you have this amazing supercomputer of a brain. So it knows, it knows what the card has on it. The card says, I weigh 180 pounds on June 15th, 2020. 
And when you touch the card, boom, at the speed of light from your fingertips, your peripheral nervous system sends a light message to your brain, to your central nervous system, and you're reminded, and you're reminded, and you're reminded throughout the day again and again and again. And you go to get undressed and you put your hand in your pants. You go, oh, there's my card. And he says, it's reinforcing it, reinforcing it. I am 180 pounds. And this is such a beautiful thing. And this is such a positive thing. And this is so different than how we've been trained to think about ourselves and talk about ourselves and how to set goals. Positive present tense. I earn X number of dollars in 2020. I save X number of dollars in 2020. I earn my master's degree, my bachelor's degree, my GED on May 28th, 2022. Positive present tense. Your subconscious mind doesn't know that it's not real. It will accept whatever you plant. I'm glad you and it will bring mentioned it forth. that. I'm glad you mentioned that because I've, I've talked about that also. I didn't have the science to back it up, but just from my own experience of not telling myself I'm the fat pig. You know, when even mm-hmm. when I was heavier, I was like, I'm going to buy nice clothes that fit me well. I'm going to do my makeup. And it, it's amazing how much better I felt. And then I made decisions based on, okay, is this going to help me to be the Gwen I want to be by, you know, the date or whatever weight I want to be? And right. lots of times like, well, no, this food isn't going to help me reach that. So I really don't want that. And now I'm at the point where that doesn't tempt me. We had somebody bring donuts into our office and they were what I used to eat, like six of these. And uh, she's like, you want one? I said, you know, really, I don't. And it wasn't right. a hard decision. It's yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, and and it took a and while you, to get to that point. <laughs> and and yeah, and here here again, little tip just on that same same idea, but I just want to be clear in the language because it's so powerful. It's easy to say, well, I understand what I'm going to say. I'm going to say to myself, I don't want to eat donuts. I don't eat donuts. I don't eat junk food. I don't eat garbage. I don't drink diet soda. I don't drink regular cola. But the subconscious mind is only hearing I eat donuts. I drink Diet Coke. So what we what we have to say is, I eat only healthy, nutritious, wholesome foods. I eat whole foods. I eat foods that come from the earth and look the way they appeared when they were harvested. I eat whole foods that I can recognize. We're positive present tense. As you said about your, your dress and your, your uh, makeup, so beautiful, so healthy. You say to yourself, I dress beautifully all the time. I take care of myself and put my best face forward all the time. Today you invited me on, on, on the show on a Skype call. I didn't know if it would be video or, or just audio, but in preparation, I put on a nice white shirt and, and, and a sport coat because why? Because I respect you. I respect your program. And I thought if we're going to be, you know, if it's going to be video and I'm going to be seen by your guests, I want to put my, my best foot forward. I don't want to show up in my uh, t-shirt and my pajamas and so forth. So this is so healthy to think of ourselves in a beautiful way. I am healthy, I am thin, I am trim, I am attractive, I am uh, lovable, I am good. One of my coaches, who I've been studying for many years, Brian Tracy, he says possibly the most powerful thing you can say to yourself every day is, I like myself, I like myself, yes. I like myself. Right? And if you could get to, I love myself, I love that would be really great. But the key is, oh, let me mention this to you and your guests, so important, you can't fake this stuff. No. The, one of the keys in reprogramming the subconscious mind and what we call your self-concept, the paradigm, another name for the paradigm is your self-concept, how you see yourself in the world, your self-image, your self-concept. One of the essential things is the messaging must be done with emotion. You have to put emotion behind it. Emotion is the, is the magic power. You have to say, I like myself, I like myself, I like myself, I like myself and I love my work, I love my job, I like myself and I love my job. I'm thin and slim and trim, I'm attractive to other people, I'm attractive to myself. I like the way I look, I like the way I feel. I always dress professionally, I always dress like a winner. I always do my makeup before going out of the house, I always do my hair. I always do my hair before going out of the house, I always apply my makeup and I dress my best. 
do you know how powerful this is? I mean, if I, I, I get so excited to share this with people because most people are walking around thinking, eh, I'm not that great. I don't really like myself. I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm poor. I'm, I'm, I'm uneducated. I, I, I'm lazy. I'm, I'm weak. You know, I eat Diet Coke. I drink Diet Coke. I like donuts. I like hot dogs. I like pizza. It's delicious. It makes, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and that thinking is being recorded and programmed by the subconscious mind. It's the hard drive of your mind. And it, it's, it's just like in computer and IT. They say garbage in, garbage out. Yep. If you put all kinds of junk programs, virus code and, and, and bad programs, software on your hard drive that's all it will play yes that's it it's not it's not magic it's not a mystery so your mind is the same way the conscious mind is the programmer you're the or the gardener the person laying down the seed or the person writing the computer code your subconscious mind is the hard drive or the soil of the garden whatever you put there the garden the subconscious mind is 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 an obedient servant of your conscious mind Whatever you ask it to do, it will do with, with, with abundance. So if you put negative, self-demeaning, um, self-deprecating thoughts there and ideas, the subconscious mind, as I said, is totally amoral. It, 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 it's not a judge. It will give you exactly what you planted. But if you put beautiful ideas about yourself and your fitness and your health and your finances and your education and your personal relationships, and your happiness and your attitudes. Oh my goodness, it all comes forward. It's like magic. It works like unadulterated magic. The only problem is the vast, vast majority. And when I say vast majority, I'm talking 99% of people or more are feeding their subconscious mind nightshade, poison. And it's growing in abundance. And they say, why am I living like this? Why do I look this way? Why am I under these circumstances? And I have the answer for you. It's because of the way you've been thinking. Yes. That's exactly, you know, we're talking about thinking a lot and my, and every year I pick a, like a message for the year. And next year, my message for myself is as a man thinketh, so is he. I have to keep reminding Correct. myself as you're thinking because I have some goals for me that are pretty, they're big for me because they're always goals. I always said, well, you can't do that. Um, look at you. You know, that's one thing I've been over the years trying to f- work common. on my physical. You know, appearance, not just so I could look good, but I wanted to feel good about myself because I've started speaking more and I've bought some outfits. So when people look at me, they're like, wow, it's like, yeah, you know how much how much I had to psych myself up to even put this on because it puts the attention on me. And I'm one of those that's like, please don't look at me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not worthy for you to look at me. And I've never told mm-hmm. my listeners that, but to some extent I have, but they, you know, I still deal with. A lot of that because it's from stuff I was told when I was a child, you know, about you talk funny because I try to talk well. Um, and like I said, I'm African-American and sometimes I was told you sound too white. And, I'm, <laughs> and I just thought, well, I sound normal. This is the way I talk. Mm. So I wouldn't express myself very much. But now I'm I'm changing that. So um, like you said, as as you're thinking, that's what you're going to be. And that's why I always try to encourage my listeners that it's not just about your physical appearance, it's about loving yourself and mm-hmm. actually liking yourself. If nobody else likes you, I mean, be nice to people. But if, if, if someone you love is constantly telling you that I don't like the way you look or, you know, you, you, you think too much of yourself, don't you try not to let that go in. You, you need to do what you need to do for yourself and think the way you need to. Absolutely. You know, this, you're touching on something that I go into and make your own damn cheese very extensively. And the, the one thing, I mean, there's so much to talk about, but the, the one thing, the Jesuits, for example, the Catholic scholars and educators, they've known this for 400 years. They, they have said for 400 years, give me the boy until the age of seven and I will show you the man for the rest of his life. Yes. And of course, that works for, for, for women as well. In other words, when we're children, the subconscious mind is wide open and there is no conscious mind. We, we haven't developed the thinking mind. The, another name for the conscious mind is the thinking mind. And that's the, the mind which makes choices and you can, you can judge things. And you say, do I want to go this way or do I want to go that way? 
But unfortunately, in the first seven or eight years of life, the conscious mind, the thinking mind is not developed at all. We're more like a wide open um, subconscious. And all we're doing is looking and listening and tasting and touching and observing. And so why do people become like their parents? Why do people become like the people in their neighborhood? Why do people speak the way the people around them speak? Because the subconscious mind is amoral. It doesn't judge. If, if you take a child born in um, southern Louisiana, okay, to an African-American family, and that child, for whatever reason, is moved in infancy to Beijing, China, and adopted by a Chinese family, at the age of four, the, the, that child will speak perfect Mandarin Chinese. It doesn't get born speaking a certain way or a certain language or whatever. It is a wide open receptacle. The subconscious mind is saying, teach me, teach me. I, I, I'm here to learn. Plant what you want to plant. Do you want to speak English, Chinese? Do you want to speak uh, a Southern dialect, a Northern dialect, like where I'm from in the Northeast, where we have our own accents and expressions and so on and so forth? The subconscious mind doesn't care. In fact, there's a very interesting story about that with language. Um, another one of my mentors was, was teaching in Kuala Lumpur many years ago. Once a month for, for several years, he would go to Kuala Lumpur to, to teach personal development. And he had a business associate there who had a four-year-old son. And that four-year-old son was speaking four languages fluently. Wow. Okay. And why? Because the father spoke one language, the mother spoke another language. In school, they were speaking another language because they were expatriates, they were from another country, and they had a housekeeper who was speaking a fourth language. So what's so beautiful is my mentor in that case, he said, do you know why that child was able to speak four languages by the age of four? The answer is because he had not yet learned to say, I can't. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Because the subconscious mind never says I can't. Only the conscious thinking mind says I can't. I can't lose weight. I can't speak this way. I can't wear this dress. I can't graduate from this school or that school. I can't, you know, run a mile. I can't do real push-ups on my toes rather than my... Once the thinking mind starts getting involved in the process, there's a lot of I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. I'm not good enough. I'm not beautiful. I'm not handsome. I'm not thin. I'm not trim. I'm not smart. I'm not wealthy. But in that first seven to eight years, the subconscious mind is wide open. Whatever you plant there will grow. It will grow with great abundance. So if you, they say, how many, how many languages could a child learn at that age? with that philosophy, with that mentality, with the subconscious mind wide open? The answer, as many as you'll take the time to teach them. So if you teach a child good eating habits, nutrition, at that age, he'll eat that way his whole life. If you, if you teach him what I taught, my mother taught me, and I love my mother, she's still alive, she was a She's a wonderful mother in many ways, but none of us is perfect. I ate a lot of Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> I ate a lot of McDonald's. I ate a lot of Burger King. I ate a lot of pizza. I ate a lot of sub sandwiches. I, I drank more Diet Coke. <laughs> I, I drank enough Diet Coke to float a battleship. <laughs> and this is somebody who loved me. It was my mother feeding me this stuff. You'd think she was my, my enemy to feed me that stuff by today's standards, what we know. Yes. But, but, and she was a nurse, and my father was a doctor, and they fed us these things. So if you're brought up with that way of eating, for example, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of understanding as to what had happened to you and why you behave the way you do to reprogram that hard drive and put new code there, which is positive, healthy, loving, supportive code. And here's one of the other things. Just like your hard drive, just like the internet and so on and so forth, that they tell you, you know, once it's out there, once it's on there, you can never really get rid of it, right? Yeah. It's the same with the subconscious mind. The old code cannot be simply erased somehow and ejected and thrown in the garbage. The only thing we can do, Gwen, is try to overwhelm that old code yes. with tons and tons and tons and tons of new code. And the only one who's going to write it Oh, by the way, is you. 
if you wait for somebody else, these people around us, friends, family, coworkers, whatever, to change the code, they won't. No. They won't. And, and, and I call that, very interestingly, you're going to like this, I think, uh, the crab mentality. You know, they say that uh, crab fishermen, when they catch these live crabs, they put them in these gigantic uh, buckets, you know, plastic. Bu- now they're plastic, I'm sure, probably in the old days they were wooded. But these gigantic uh, plastic buckets with seawater, and they just dump them in there. But you don't have to put a cover on it. You don't have to put a cover on it. Because what happens is as one crab tries to get over the edge and crawl out and get away, the other crabs grab them and pull them right back in. And so what you wind up with is this churning bucket of crabs. And and none of the crabs ever escape. And that's what it's like. Not our enemies. Hopefully hopefully too many of us don't have, have any enemies. But it tends to be our loved ones, our friends, yes. our family, the people who are closest to us. You, the, you say, hey, Gwen, let's, we just we just ordered a pizza. Why don't you have a couple of slices? You say, you know, I'm going to have a sal- salad. Who wants a salad? Come on, this is just hot. It just came from the place. It's delicious. Pepperoni, that's your favorite. Come on. They keep dragging you back in. Yes. They, want you to, they never want you to go away. They never want you to grow. They never want you because they, they're not because they don't love you. They do love you. Not because they're intentionally trying to hurt you. They're not. Because they do love you. They want you to stay. They never want you to leave. They never want to lose you. They have a fear of loss. They have a fear of being left behind. So what they do, the crowd that we surround ourselves with, that's the other thing you have to know. The paradigms that I talk about, these beliefs that are in the subconscious mind, they're almost never just yours. They're almost always cultural. They're, they're, they're in this little, whatever little microcosm each of us is living, our friends, our family, our coworkers, 20 or 30 people, we share all the same habits. We dress the same way. We eat the same way. We go to the same places. We speak the same way. We like the same things because we feel comfortable. Now, if you decide I want to change something, I'm going to go back to school or I'm going to make another $50,000 this year. I'm going to lose 15 pounds this year or I'm going to become a vegetarian or I'm going to do this. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Watch out because the crabs are coming. They're coming to get you. You've upset the apple cart. You put everybody in a very negative vibration now. What happened to Gwen? What happened to John? Who do they think they are? Who does he think he is? We used to sit and eat buffalo wings until we would, you know, choke. Yeah. Now he tells me, now he tells me he doesn't eat buffalo wings. How, who, who is this guy? Who we got to get him back on track and tell him why all these new ideas are bad and stupid and hopeless and useless and whatever. It, it's just fascinating. Have you seen any of that in your life? What I'm talking about? Oh yes, I've I've talked to, I've started talking more to people about some of it because my family. I grew up, my nucleus family was very toxic, toxic, my alcoholics, people using drugs, and I use food as my drug. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I finally started talking to some of them again, and they're finally starting to realize, you know, they're apologizing and things like that. But, but yeah, I mean, a lot of when I was trying to better myself, who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than us? Uh, you, you, you should stay here with us, you know, which was mm-hmm. don't go anywhere and try anything. And that right. was one reason why I used food was to deal with it. It's like, well, do, is something wrong with me? You know, may, is is it bad for me to want these things? And I could we could talk all day about all this, but we're going to have to end the episode at some point. But but I want to thank you, John, for coming on today. Everything you touched on, it was just right on. You know what I think my listeners and I needed to hear to help us with going into the new year and to when we lose the weight this time. It's not just we're going to lose it and then gain it and lose it and gain it. We, we want this to be it. It's our weight maintenance journey. It's not just weight loss. So I want to thank right. you for coming on today. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. And if anybody wants to contact you, how can they find out more about you or get a hold of you? Well, they can. I'm on Facebook um, at Chewback Education. Uh, I'm on Instagram as John Chewback, C-H-U-B-A-C-K. MD, John Chuback MD on Instagram. I put a lot of inspirational things out there. The most important thing, and, and this has been a labor of love. The, the book is less than $9. It's available on Amazon. It's called Make Your Own Damn Cheese. And I urge everyone who is interested in personal development and weight loss to purchase that book. 
and read it and study it like a scientist. Read it again and again and again. Understand how the mind works and how you can take control of your mind and then be the architect of the most magnificent lifestyle you could ever imagine. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. I'm not a medical professional. You should consult with your doctor or medical professional before beginning any weight loss or exercise program.